The subject for the <coughs> evening talk is non-seizing. <coughs> for there to be <coughs> any real development, both outwardly and inwardly, then certain factors are rather common to each one of us. And one of them includes the, the field and the significance of freeing oneself from the tendency to seize, to, to seize upon. And so this means that in our relationship to life, we have to look at the three areas of time, past, present and future, we have to see what they mean and constitute for us and what our relationship is. What our relationship is to the past, what it is to the present and to the future. And this practice and the attitude of mind of non-seizing, non-seizing <coughs> upon, is that attitude of mind which contributes to our <coughs> firstly seeing what actually is presenting and showing it itself for what it actually is, but equally as important in our, our seeing clearly <coughs> is also to enable the consciousness to evolve in its own way. <coughs> when we look <coughs> at the field, the field of what that means, what presents itself to us, what keeps showing itself to us, we see that initially there is the perception and the recognition of something. Either it occurred, say, in the past or in the present, or something which is a possibility for us in the future. In that recognition, in that moment, there are certain often associations which go with that which we have alighted upon. <coughs> Some of the associations which take place tend towards reinforcing that which we have seized upon, which we have taken up, which we are holding to. And so <coughs> through the initial contact through the perceptions, the feelings, the associations and the memory, we begin to put into that original perception some of our views, our um, interest, our focus, our ideas, and we build up a certain picture which begins to conglomerate around that issue. And thus there has been in the very initial perception, something to do with the past, present or future, the tendency, very easily and understandably, the tendency towards seizing upon and fixing something in a particular way. And in that fixation on something in a particular way, our world, so to speak, revolves around it. We move around 
that perception. Sometimes for a whole variety of reasons and conditions, we move away from that. There is some quietness in the mind, there is some, there is some space in, inside of ourselves, some space around, and the tendency to seize upon isn't so noticeable. And so in those moments, in those periods of time, long or short-lived as they may be, the world of sights and sounds is just coming and passing, the, the world of smells, taste and touch, thoughts and ideas just coming and passing, and this tendency towards clinging and holding on to isn't so obviously apparent. And then the process towards the seizing <coughs> very easily begins again, and we settle upon something, and this fixation of mind begins once again to re-establish itself. And so we find ourselves in the course of our, our life, to some degree, moving through life with varying degrees of seizing upon. Now, as I said, evolution, which is without struggle and willpower and effort, therefore of an organic order, is very much related to our understanding of these processes and therefore the reduction of the tendency to seize. Firstly, we have to look, let us say, initially at the field of patterns. Patterns, habits, tendencies, the varying <coughs> kind of influences that our past has and the way that it is affecting our present. And that shows itself in all manner of ways and means. And in the traditional language, what is what, uh, um, Dharma expression, what we are particularly encouraged to give care and attention to are the kind of patterns which express some form of greed, aggression, confusion, fear. The kind, those kind of patterns which one senses and knows in oneself, that when they are pre presenting themselves, they are a cause of mischief for life in the present. And because sometimes we are not aware of the way, and clearly aware of the way the past manifests itself in the present, because we haven't trained to really observe ourselves to really observe the present, we often don't realize this is happening. In other words, the tendency to seize upon, the tendency to identify with, is so familiar that it occurs with almost unquestioning obedience. 
the past comes in, it, it is shaping our perception, our, our present. We haven't really understood what real observation of the present is, so we just go along blindly under the spell of the past and of ignorance into the present. And so at times we see that the force of the past and the way that it is affecting our present is totally, nothing else, but totally inappropriate to the present. That at times you and I have experienced being completely out of sync with what's happening here and now because we're spellbound by the influence of the past coming into the here and now. So self-knowledge and self-understanding is, all is in part, the understanding of the way yesterday enters into today. Now, that is looking at what we might describe as the unhealthy, un unwholesome, sometimes harmful or destructive kind of patterns which are operating and we see manifesting. And then we have to find, meditation is only one of a number of tools, of how to adjust ourselves in life to a principle, let us say, and a practice. Firstly, of learning to not seize upon, and accompanying with that, learning and developing a primary skill in life of learning to accommodate. But there are patterns too, which are beneficial and wholesome and, and healthy and when conducted with um, awareness and, and observation are of such an order and the rhythm and the flow in our life which we need to be able to let allow flow, need, need to be able to let present themselves into the living present but of course, always, indispensably, accompanied with awareness. So that which is healthy and beneficial both for ourselves and for the world that we live in, one hopefully is free enough inside of oneself to let that manifest in this world and therefore to allow that to manifest in consciousness. So our relationship to the past and to non-seizing is not that one is trying to absolutely, irre irrevocably cut off the past, if it was at all possible, but rather to have, through our observation and our careful looking, that ability to discern, to see clearly. So there, so there are certain, shall we say, fairly obvious kind of manifestations of the influences of the past which are healthy and good for one and all and those which aren't. But 
there's also this other, almost one might say, grey area which doesn't fit neatly into either category. And yet, for a whole variety of reasons inside of ourselves, the tendency to seize upon and identify with takes place. Well, I've, the sort of thing I've got in mind here is doing the same thing again and again. It's, an, it's a middle area. It's, a, it's a, an area in our, rela- in, our, in our relationship to ourselves where something which is, has proved to be of value and of use, and I'm talking maybe spiritual work and particular practices and the application of them, has proved to be effective. One has derived direct benefit from it. But the very course of constant repetition in the form that it, in a, repeating it in a very similar form, that that which becomes a form for development, can the very same given time and given repetition become, become a source for stagnation. Anything. And in stagnation, unfortunately, there's a, there's a certain kind of familiarity and comfort which takes place. And in that familiarity and comfort, we don't go anywhere. And the real awareness of what's happening and where we're stuck we're not really willing to look at because to look at may mean having to make real changes. So in other words, there's no assurance in our relationship to what we do in life, no matter what it is, that it always has a continuing validity. No assurance. So awareness in, li- in life is constant. It, it, it's, it's the price of practice. And it's the, the, the means for practice. So that you and I, in whatever area of life we are engaged in, we can be willing we, to be able to look to see what's actually happening. If I'm stuck, in what way am I stuck? Now, one of the difficulties in people who have done spiritual work for um, uh, years um, well know, that one of the difficulties with this is that somewhere along the way, in genuine inner change and uh, expansiveness, that somewhere along the way, one has to be taking responsibility for oneself and the direction that one is going in. And unfortunately, within this kind of work, there is often, one might almost say, a certain conflict of interest. The conflict of interest being that 
the voices of authority outside of oneself will keep saying to you, keep doing this no matter what. And they will give to you their own belief. They will also give their, the authority of their own experience. They can share with you all that they have gone through for X number of years. And all of that has a certain power to it. And in one's own uncertainty in life, and where one is going inwardly or outwardly or both, in the state of uncertainty, we are very easily subject to, to the influences of that voice outside. And this period of time of looking at the reality of situation, the reality of one's own practice, and, and working, working with that must be contributing to increasing self-reliance. That's a proof, that's an, a, a real yardstick for all of us that there is an evolution happening in our practice. So I might say to you, as one person involved in Vipassana meditation, as one person who has been involved in this for 15 years, that for me, sitting and, and meditating and looking inward is still as fresh and as new and as um, stimulating as it ever was. For me, I love the practice. I love all that it's brought to me. But... That's a personal ex experience. And when I cannot speak for you in, and say, therefore, because it's like this for me, therefore, just at the moment, you're just having a hard time, it will pass away, keep watching your breath. So th this movement of, of looking and seeing, rem remembering that while work and practice is something which we share, share together, yet too, this taking of responsibility is an Im increasingly significant aspect of what meditation, work and practice is all about. So therefore, there needs to be brought within oneself you know, a, a, a sense of observation and interest and, and experiment and the willingness to experience at times feeling and being stuck. Now, as one be <coughs> begins to look at oneself and look at this tendency to seize upon, one of the things which goes with the tendency to seize upon is the, const the construct and the concept, same thing, of the sense of me, of I. So in our observation, in our looking, we have built around that which we have seized upon to quite some degree the sense of our identity. We might even say the sense of our whole identity is built on what we have seized upon in heart, mind, body, experience. 
And so we come to awareness. We come to look at this. We come to see all these concepts and constructions and formations of the mind. We begin to see the tremendous fluctuation that's going on. How in the course of one sitting, the variety of experiences is, is enormous. And it's not that that is so different from daily life. It's just that now we're being really aware of it. We're really seeing the tremendous dances that the mind can go through from active to still, to turbulence, to flow, to agitation, to calmness, to spacing out, to expansiveness or whatever. And because there is such a variety and frequency of movement and change taking place, without our conscious will to do it, without trying to make our mind like that, we end up asking ourselves, well, with all this going on, where the hell am I? <laughs> and so the, the kind of boundaries and assumptions that one has, well, this is me, whether it's the cheerful or the miserable me, at least it feels like a me that's familiar. But with such changes taking place to such variety, one's sense of where me is in all of this can be truly shaken up. And so sometimes from the deeper levels of one's being, and therefore not as an academic question or, or, as a, or as a mantra in any way, really comes that, that inquiry of sincere human beings, just who am I? You know, where am I, if I am at all, amidst all, the, the, all this that's going on in my sitting and in my walking and in my daily life here? And it's something about that genuine who am I inquiry which can emerge out of itself, or out of, out of, one's, out of oneself, that in that genuine inquiry, the whole thing of seizing upon really comes up for question. <coughs> that something which has been so familiar and so repetitious and hardly anything else but varying degrees of seizing upon, one begins to look at one's mind which does this and when one looks again at the mind, again and again at the mind which does this, surely the mind is going to be producing out of it some sense, some feeling, this is unsatisfactory. One might even go more, this is utterly unsatisfactory. <coughs> but one is in an area... And it's a difficult area. Sometimes the, the mystics have spoken of it as the, the, uh, the dark night of, of the soul. Even that is a confident statement because there's an assumption that there is a soul to have a dark... Anyway. <laughs> so th there's this movement away and the, the loss of desire 
to some degree, or the fading of interest in wanting to keep seizing upon, seizing upon, seizing upon. But one doesn't know where one is. One doesn't doesn't know who one is, if one is. All that one knows is this is unsatisfactory. This way of living, this restriction, this confinement, this limitation, because of my charge and seizing, is an unfulfilling way of living. And there's a vague intimation of greater things. And one sees too that this taking, taking up, and whatever it is that we're taking up, it also has its outer implications. It, it has its outer implications in that the, in the taking up means that the tendency to seize is the root, is the source, is the, the cause for conflict and dispute. What we take up and identify with puts us in opposite to another to this world. And therefore the psychological background to the terrible history of our planet has somewhere this at its baseline. And so from a standpoint of awareness and compassion and sensitivity, from the standpoint of clarity and an attitude of mind, the appetite to hold begins to wane. If we begin to begin to get a sense of that, of that, a, a feeling deep inside of ourselves, then there is a possibility for the organic evolution of one's consciousness. But it's some kind, as I mentioned, it's a kind of um, um, an, a- an area, a-, a dark night, an, un- an uncertain area, because the, what's familiar isn't satisfactory, because of all that's implied in, in that, and even sometimes for some feel that the old, that even some of the pleasures of, of life, the pursuit of, and the getting hold of, and the accumulating of, and the possession of, etc., also doesn't feel doesn't feel ripe, right or ripe inside of oneself. So there are times in, the, in difficult times, even the interest in that can fade. And sometimes it's not, again, out of any real conscious desire to let go of, to give up, but one senses that one has to go on this adventure inside of oneself, and like any true adventure, one may know where one is coming from, but one doesn't know and has no real idea of where one is going to, and there is no map anywhere. And so there is this movement away from not knowing what the direction is or where one is going to, and there's that period of moving, shall we say, moving across with all the difficulty that's entailed in that.
in that move, <coughs> movement away from and this movement, movement towards, at, at times one finds in oneself the confusion and the doubt and, and the difficulty and one has very little in real terms to go upon. And it, there's some kind of expression there, one might say, of faith. Something about faith, one hears it, of course, in religion a, a great deal, which has an important part, an important role to play. Insofar as, if one looks at one's practice and, uh, and at the past, one's important to recall and to be able to recall that whatever the practice is, that it's contributing in some way. It's creating and developing a momentum. It's enable, enabling one to keep going. And it's that sometimes clear reflection upon the past and what it's bringing one to enables one in the, amidst the difficulties that one can experience in the present to keep that flow going. Then switches begin to, can begin to take place, changes begin to take place, and they may not seem important. One may hardly detect what is occurring as one's practice deepens in the real meaning of deepening. In the initial periods of one's practice and at, and at different phases within the practice, we have, and you've spoken of some of you about this, we have a real sense of being dragged away from the present, say, into the past. And it's, and it's like the, the mind cannot understand the present. It cannot sense it. It cannot feel the vibrancy and, and, and the ever-present life. It's as though sometimes the present simply isn't enough for us. We don't feel satisfied with it despite all that's going on it. And so our mind finds itself gravitating into yesteryear. And we keep feeling we getting sucked back into all those things we did or didn't do or shouldn't have done or should have done or whatever. And we keep easily gravitating that way. But as the practice deepens itself and as we become centred more, there's far less of the sense of our being dragged to the past. And one of the switches or turns which begin to come is that there is a sense that the past is coming to the present. That we're not, in real terms, being pulled away by the present, to the point we might even be asking ourselves, is it really possible? Is it one of the myths that we live under that we can be dragged out of the present? And therefore, the concepts and the images and the words and the thoughts no matter what other world, other place associations they may have, in fact, it's part of the process of what's actually happening here now. 
So when the meditation practice begins to deepen, there's a less sense of being dragged into old things or dragged off into the future, but more the deepening aspect brings with it a greater, accom- sorry, a greater accommodating principle. Accommodating principle in which the harsh divisions of past, present and future are not as great as they used to appear to be. That means that the relationship to life, the relationship to time, the relationship to events and experiences is undergoing a change by itself because one is deepening within oneself to the degree that the deepening is correspondingly bringing an opening out to accommodate. To accommodate the fields of time. In this deepening of, of the meditation and, and allowing for all of this uh, settling, settling in which takes place, as I mentioned before, it has a specific relationship to non-seizing. And one of the difficulties in that deepening which does take, take place is that one is so used to seizing and taking up issues, even the issues which one feels are valid personally and socially, where one is confronting um, wrong, confronting injustice, confronting that which is uh, called evil or what, whatever, and therefore one feels, well, one has to affirm and give support to what is right and what is true and what is good. And so sometimes one feels that if one lets go of seizing at any level, both in one's personal life as well as, well as socially, it will inhibit the power to act. Because one won't be taking up anything anymore. One won't be fixing anything anymore. One won't be judging this against that. And so sometimes in our going more deeply we can pass through fields of difficulty and confusion because though we may be willing to give up the seizing upon the unwholesome, and the unhealthy, the, the capacity to give up seizing upon that which is good, is difficult. Because we can't see what it will mean for us if we start letting go of the other side of that polarity. And this is where, again, the, the, the element of faith, patience, trust, forbearance, willingness to be with what is unknown and unfamiliar territory becomes essential. 
becomes essential to see if in our going more deeply into ourself we can find another way altogether. In that journey, in that making this, this, this journey, as I mentioned, the field of self-knowledge is you and I being clear and as clear as possible about where our mind moves, what it gravitates towards, being aware in, our, in ourselves of the purposes of meditation, of what its actual function is. And that requires, and the only way that we can find out is that it requires from us practice and experience. It requires time. It requires a continuity. It, requ it requires a willingness to bear with. It requires the willingness, as some of us um, have, have, have found, of having to go through difficulties in life and some major difficulties in life in all sorts of areas of our life to be able to go from one state of living which is seizing upon to another which is not seizing upon. And that road is sometimes rough and hard and painful and it needs as many inner and outer resources as we can muster to make that journey through those tunnels. And as I mentioned, the further expression of, of that in life is the growing capacity, and, and it's a real indicator of, of our development which is taking place, of the ability to accommodate. Accommodate in, in such a way that one doesn't have so much of this feeling inside of being in contention with. Like was being pointed out in the talk yesterday evening, in, in, in not being in contention with, then the relationship to the, as was referred to, the abuser and the abused, both are being seen clearly, without prejudice, without the seizing upon. And that, therefore, that within ourselves means that the greatest what we have to accommodate in life is ourselves. If we can truly accommodate ourselves in life in the real significance and meaning of what that means, accommodating this universe is effortless. And this sometimes for us seems to be a hard lesson to understand that there's nothing out there as troublesome and as difficult as what's happening here in relationship out there. And therefore our practice and meditational work and the, in, and the in, inwardness and the vibrancy of it is this accommodating and assimilating and being 
totally receptive to and not seizing upon and not living in which our mind is polarized and fragmented and in dispute and contention because we have seized upon. And that if we look at this so carefully and give our, our heart to looking at this, we look at it with such care that we won't want to live in that way because we won't want to feed in any way the conflict and the pain of this world which is born of seizing upon. We just can't do it to the world anymore. So our observation, our, our awareness, the, the, the living present, they're all keys, they're all means, shall we say, which is available to us from one moment to the next. They're there, it's there present for us. As human beings, we have the power of self-awareness, an extraordinary event in this universe. We have the power of other awareness, an extraordinary event in this universe. And how easily we, the appreciation and fascination and love for this fades from us. So let our meditations be very full, very total, complete obs observation in which the past is being accommodated into the present, the present is being accommodated, the future is being accommodated, and we're just settling in to all that is life. Not wishing to hold, seize, grasp, not wishing to be in contention with. And then out of that blossoms another way, which gives dignity to a person and and, res and respect and shows something of what is possible in this miraculous universe. May all beings see into themselves. May all beings see into life. May all beings live with awareness. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.